May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. That's the surprising thing about the Gospels. When you read them, you don't get very long between the coziness of the stable and the rest of the story. Before you know it, There's the uncomfortable, hurried flight to Egypt and the exile there for the Holy Family. And then the trackle of a long journey home. And before you can say, 30 years later, we're out in the Judean desert under the sweltering sun and something very peculiar is going on. Jesus of Nazareth, the lost years has been the subject of much historical speculation and inspired many works of fiction, some even purporting to be works of biblical significance, but quickly exposed as the worst kinds of myth, legend, and fabrication. For the truth is, we don't really know very much about the life of Jesus up until it all starts on the banks of the Jordan River, as we read When Jesus joins a queue of repentant seekers after a new tomorrow and is confronted by John's moment of insight, behold the Lamb of God, identified as the special one to whom all eyes must turn and to whose word every ear must be open and every heart open. Well, it had to start somewhere. Whatever it was, he wanted to do, felt compelled to do, whoever it was he was or thought he was, could not remain hidden in the obscurity of Nazareth. There was work to be done, there was work for him to do, things to say, a call to give, a truth to demonstrate, a cross to embrace. So it had to start somewhere, and it began for him and for us in the muddy waters of the Jordan River as he stands shoulder to shoulder with every man and says for all to see and to hear, I am one of you, and I will be, and I will take this humanity that we share into all my experience and fix it, heal it. Bring it home to the Father. You will have noticed that there is something in human beings that indicates that we're not always content. We're not always content to settle for plain English. Sometimes we want poetry. Sometimes we need poetry. We're not satisfied with a a simple approach, things done on the QT We choose pageantry. We need our symbols and our ceremonials, our fanfares and our public pronouncements, our sonnets, specially written by the poet laureate for this special occasion or that. All the best moments of our human experience we we feel would simply be cold and grey and bland without those splashes of colour, those sunbursts of symbolism. If everything were ruthlessly stripped bare, we might feel we lose something. It's just how we function. 
And so we try to find the right vehicle, the proper expression, the appropriate symbolism. We, we baptise our babies. We shower our brides with confetti for no good reason. We crown our kings and queens with glorious extravagance and pomp. With great ceremony we ordain our ministers and our elders. We could simply say, look, can you start on Monday? But we don't. Something in us enjoys, even needs, those boundary marking moments. And the baptism of Jesus by John is a boundary marking moment. Mind you, let's face it. He really shouldn't have been there. Jesus. Baptism by John was not for the likes of Jesus. He was one of the good guys. And the baptism of John was pretty clearly for the bad guys. It was meant to be a sign of repentance. It was understood to be an admission of need and failure and sinfulness. It was seen by everyone watching on as a clear confession of sin. And those who endured the humiliation of baptism in the waters of the Jordan did so in order to commit to a new start, a better way to be washed clean, looking to a better future. So why on earth was he there, the special one? The Holy One, understood by the early church to be the sinless Son of God. What was he doing mixing with the likes of those who were required to humble themselves for this cleansing baptism? John, so rigorous in his demand, so relentless in his assessment of these people, a godless horde heading for destruction unless they changed their ways, admitted their weakness, unless they opened their heart to welcoming the coming kingdom of God, unless they bent to receive the healing, purifying, washing clean of their souls. So no wonder John is surprised to see Jesus approach him, part of the throng, one of the crowd, indistinguishable from all the others, receiving the same baptism they received. If it happened just as Mark describes... Rather than scratch their head and wonder what that was all about, what it might mean, you could well imagine if the early church had just conveniently forgotten to mention it. It raised for them, as it does for us, more questions than it seems to answer. Just Let's just look away from this and forget it ever occurred. But the fact that this tricky little conundrum appears in the Gospel accounts is telling testimony to their awkward authenticity. We take note of the uncomfortable honesty of the narrative that tells it like it is, regardless of how many questions it might raise for us. What is he doing there? Why does he undergo the baptism of John, which is self-confessedly partial and inadequate? John himself says he baptizes with water, but the one who is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, there are several important things happening at the Jordan River that day. The first is 
that it's a sign that Jesus is identifying himself completely in total solidarity with the humanity he has come to heal and to save and to redeem. It's all of a piece with his humble origins, his obscure birth and beginnings. Here at the Jordan River, he makes it clear that he is not going to take refuge from the cold wind of reality. He will not hide from the total need of men and women, but stands in absolute solidarity with us. To the nth degree, there is no aloofness, there is no disconnecting from all our brokenness and our frail human condition. Where we fail, where we hurt, where we need, where we are in the depths, there we will find him. There for us. There with us. There alongside us. He is not some cocooned redeemer who neither touches nor feels our frailty or our fallenness, but one who embraces the wounded human condition and declares in such a way that there can be no doubt that he is with us, really with us, truly with us all the way. Whatever that takes him, even if it takes him to the waters of the Jordan River alongside the losers and the feckless, to be with the sinners, oh yes, to be with the sinners. That's where he wants to be. That means he wants to be with us. That's a precious truth that we need to hold on to. That brings us hope. He doesn't run from the sinners. He gets alongside and says, I am with you. Again, sometimes they just have to stand up and be counted. When the protesters throng the streets and cry out against some terrible injustice or assault on essential freedoms, you can lock your front door and lie low. Or you can get out there and put your voice with their voices, share their concern, embrace the vision, say, count me in. And in receiving John's baptism... Jesus stands up and is counted as one who is committed to the new kingdom that John announces. John the Baptist is the herald of the new age of the coming power of God. It's all going to be different. There's a new thing coming, coming soon. And by embracing the ministry of John and affirming it through his support and his presence, his willingness to bend to its truth, Jesus declares himself committed to that kingdom, an eager seeker after that new thing that God will do. He says, listen, I believe that John is right. This is a a pivotal moment. A new day is dawning for all creation. And I'm right here with him, rejoicing in that new day. It would have been strange had the very one that John looks forward to If he had sidestepped or marginalized John the Baptist, ignored his preaching as if there were no truth in it, no currency in what he was saying, but instead Jesus gives John his vote of confidence, his divine imprimatur, his seal of approval. And John finds his ministry underwritten and affirmed by the presence and support of the very one he announces. So there's the second thing. 
The third thing is that, well, really, it had to start somewhere, didn't it? The ministry of Jesus. Some specific moment. And this was the public declaration that it was all getting underway now. The teaching, the healing, the preaching, the journey that would lead to Calvary and to Easter, the road we walk this Lent season. And we use all kinds of colourful expressions to describe those tipping moments, that pivotal moment, the die is cast, crossing the Rubicon, cutting the Gordian knot, throwing down the gauntlet. In that moment of truth, in the Jordan, after which there is no going back, it started. And it will go on to the end, whatever that end might be. There at the Jordan River, the clock starts ticking towards midnight. There, under the desert sun, something has begun that has endured to this day, to this place, till now, here, us, in an unbroken continuity. He was baptised in the Jordan. We are here because of that starting point. And in that crucial moment, Jesus experiences the inner assurance that his relationship with God the Father will sustain him and the power of the Spirit of God will enable him to meet the dangers and heal the broken and love the loveless. Like a gentle dove, like a sweet benediction, like a drop of oil on his forehead, the anointing of the Spirit of God affirms and confirms him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And now he's ready, ready to face temptation, ready to meet misunderstanding, ready to embrace that cross. And it all had to start somewhere. It started there, waist deep in the waters of the Jordan River. It was for this he came into the world. It was for this. He would see it through in the power of God for love of us. started and it would go on until he said it is finished in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen sharing in the service today and leading our prayers the Reverend Jenna from Indonesia is going to lead us in our prayers for others now